you know, she's, she's like you said earlier, she's a femme fatale. You could say they broke up because of artistic differences. He saw himself as alive, and she saw him dead. He had it coming. <laughs> you can't. You have to contractually, in the mortified contract that we both signed, you have to warn me before you sing Chicago. You're in violation of our agreement. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm hiding out with some sweet thing in Tijuana. And this week, we're watching the 1997 neo-noir classic Cowboy Bebop. Before we cash this episode in for 50,000 woolongs, remember you can help us on Mortified the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, setting up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. So we watched Cowboy Bebop. That we did. Um, you know, this is a show that I feel like is is like on on par with, you know, Akira and Evangelion and, you know, classics of the the anime genre. Um, and that's why I was so excited to watch it with you um for this episode because like it's just one of those things that like I figure like I should just go ahead and and, and watch. Um and I'm really excited to talk about it, uh, but I'm wondering, like, you know, when was the first time you ever watched Cowboy Bebop? Okay, I can't remember. Oh, first of all, uh, it, it always aired on Toonami back when I, or not Toonami, uh, Adult Swim, back when I used to mm-hmm. watch Adult Swim past my bedtime. Okay, I could never, uh, I could never get away with that. My parents wouldn't let me. I, I mean, listen, were there times my mom walked in and the TV was still glowing bright CRT green? <laughs> You bet. Uh, but yeah, so it aired then. I watched a couple episodes. I didn't get what the hype was when I was, you know, like eight. I was like, whatever, I'm going to go back to watching Kagome and Inuyasha scream each other's names for 30 minutes. Um, and then I did watch it a couple of years ago. I can't remember specifically when, um, but I did get into it. I was like, oh, it's, I should, same thing as you. I should watch it. And I found it quite boring which is odd because this go i was enthralled interesting yes why so like aside from a sense of obligation i guess what why did you feel like this is something you wanted to watch and like what were you expecting so yeah like i mean i i listen to a lot of anime podcasts and like people talk about cowboy bebop constantly when they're referencing you know sci-fi and this this kind of like er, early or late 90s early 2000s like you know we we did a whole tsunami segment last year and like this was you know one one of the big things like you said like anime that was like oh cool and adult and like trying to introduce young americans to to the genre um and like you know it's just it just comes up in conversation so much like um you know like like a lot of um you know i'm doing this mentorship program and and my mentor he he cites Kawa Bebop as one of the touchstones and like especially for people who are in that like uh East Asian, Southeast Asian um like milieu, this this show has a lot of like Southeast Asian, East Asian touchstones, like like Singapore features prominently in, in one episode. Um and like that that is another reason why I was was very interested in it. And I mean just like at a certain point you just something saturates culture in such a way that's like, okay, I gotta figure out what's going on here. Um, and so I am, you know, glad that we went ahead and watched it because like now, now I get it and, and I can see like why people were, were so excited about it. Were you expecting like a specific experience, especially in comparison to the other classics we've watched, which like, as we've enumerated before we started recording, we watched, uh, what we consider classics, like obviously Akira, we watched Evangelion not for this podcast, but we have watched it. Uh, and uh, Dragon Ball Z at this point, Naruto, um, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, we consider those like touchstone classic animes of varying genres. So is there anything like, was there a certain expectation, I guess, when you were going in? I mean, like, you know, I expect it to be like kind of like a cool, like have that like late 90s style of, of animation and like, you know, 
follow follow the story of like a guy i mean i knew roughly who spike spiegel was as like a character who's like you know he's not afraid of death and he's like a cool kung fu guy um what i didn't expect and i think this is gonna gonna color a lot of this episode is that like this show does not have like a consistent like story right you know like we talked about in our one piece episode right a lot of animes uh go on for fucking ever and they are following a single story you know maybe that story has different arcs maybe that story has different you know characters but they are also sort of driving towards one thing right you know to reference you know dragon ball goku's always trying to defeat a bad guy and collect the dragon balls or naruto's always trying to become hokage etc uh, etc et cowboy bebop is very episodic um there's not really like a specific goal um you know the crew of the bebop is generally just trying to you know, cash in their bounties, trying to find the bad guys. Um, there are maybe like five or six episodes that really have a continuity and a plot that you know affects the characters' motivations and and where they're going uh, and how they feel about themselves and each other. And I think that's interesting. I think it overall, like I was kind of expecting more of a of a linear narrative, which um, did did kind of affect my enjoyment of it, but. Yeah, I think I think it's a very interesting show, and I think it's very interesting that a show without like a very strong unified story got so popular. Yeah, I think that's that's funny that you bring that up because even having seen it like this is my third time now, uh, at least in part, it's I could never remember the story, and it's because there like genuinely isn't one. Well, there is, but it's you got to find it, you got to dig for it a little bit. And I'm wondering if that's just a byproduct of the fact that, like, you know, I don't know how it was distributed in Japan, but in the United States, you know, like you said, it was on Adult Swim. It was just, like, kind of one of those things where it's just like, okay, well, we're just going to throw a bunch of episodes on, you know, like, from the hours of 12 to 3 a.m., and it's just like, whatever shows up, shows up. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a very interesting choice to make a, make a, a series of, of episodes that are not about a singular story and you know the fact that like i'm so baffled by this kind of shows how a lot of the media that we consume and, and produce frankly all does tend to follow like a, a linear story and you know I, I think there's something to be said about like playing with your your medium and the way that you deliver um you know a story or not even a story but it's like a general like world like the way that you try to make people experience an idea in your head doesn't always have to be through a singular singular story and you know i think it's good that that they're trying this like monster of the week style um delivery but uh yeah it's it's a weird choice but um you know i am glad that they they tried something different I'm speaking about Cowboy Bebop if it's not, like, one of the most <laughs> wildly successful animes on the planet, but that, that's just how I feel. Yeah, it's, uh... I mean, should we just get into it? Okay, so, uh... As you mentioned, a lot of Cowboy Bebop, it's only 26 episodes, is a Monster of the Week setup. So, like, you have a bounty uh, delivered through my favorite mechanism, which is this TV show called big shot with these two people cosplaying cowboys and delivering like news on bounties um they get a bounty they go for the bounty most of the time they do not get the bounty um and have to kind of like keep going to other bounties the I think the charm of these segments is that you get to see this, like, domestic life develop between these four bounty hunters, uh, which is uh, Spike Spiegel, who's our main character, Jet Black, uh, Faye Valentine, and Ed, and their uh, accidental Welsh corgi adoption, Ayn. Um, and you get to kind of see, like, Jet cooking for the crew, uh, Faye kind of disrupting the whole flow of things because she's very, like, high maintenance, and, and Ed is just a little chaos element, and there's a, in the beginning of one episode, and later in the series, Jet is, like, walking through the ship, and the, the gravity's, like, kind of negotiable, so he's walking because he's heavier, but Ed is floating behind him, and is just holding onto his shoulders while Jet is debriefing her, and it's, like, those are the moments that I really thrived for um, in the kind of Monster of the Week segments. But the story that exists has to do with 
uh, spikes time in something called the syndicate, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a mob structure. And um, his old ex-partner, I guess, Vicious, who betrayed him, and his old girlfriend, Julia, who also kind of betrayed him, um, I guess. She just, like, wouldn't leave with him. Uh, or she couldn't. And it centers around kind of Spike both avoiding and also being extremely reactive to that old hurt. Um, so, yeah, a lot of this, a lot of this show is monster of the week, slice of life, noir, and so much of it lives in the past. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a, it's a tonal piece, I would call it. Very much a tonal piece. Um, but yeah, do we want to get in the characters? Uh, uh, how'd you feel about uh, our boy Spike? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very glad I got to meet Spike. Um, I think that, you know, Spike is iconic, not only because of, you know, the fact that he's the lead of Cowboy Bebop, but especially because of his hair. I love that he has the, like, football, like, Hey Arnold style hair. Um, and it just, as somebody whose hair tends to get very poofy and long, I, I was like, ah, yes, this is the representation we deserve. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I think I like Spike, um, you know, and we'll talk about this as we talk about, you know, um, noir as a genre. Um, but like the thing about Spike and the thing about a lot of these characters is that they don't really have arcs per se. Like they never change. Like, I don't think Spike's, um, opinions or outlook on the world changes from the beginning of, of the show to the end of the show. Um, and I think like like that's kind of the point. That is what he exists for in the genre is just to be kind of like a like a down on his luck like a bounty hunter who is you know he's got a heart of gold but he's also kind of a tough guy who you know ninety nine percent of the fights I mean not ninety nine eighty percent of the fights he he like just owns these dudes with his cool kung fu and great shooting um, you know he's like a pretty you know this is this is common for a lot of anime protagonists. He's like a cool, tough guy that, you know, can take some licks, but in the end of the day, you know, he's he's doing the right thing, um, except, you know, in this one, he's not as much happy-go-lucky as he is just like, well, that's the way it goes sometimes, light cigarette. Yeah, yeah, the cigarettes are, I, I did start jonesing for a Ruh-uh. smoke. Yeah, it, it, it truly, it did not, uh, as a, a former smoker, I have quit, it, it did make me crave a, a cigarette, but, uh... Yeah, I I really like I think you point out an interesting thing in the fact that like they don't we don't see them experience their arcs. We kind of get all or most of them post arc. Like the arc has happened and it happens in the flashbacks that we get. Or at least like for Spike, it's the resolution of his arc that we get in flashbacks, right? Like we never see the Spike pre being betrayed we see spike during being betrayed and after and that's kind of where his emotional arc is i so sometimes cowboy bebop and this is a problem not with just not a problem this is just a thing not with just spike but with kind of all the characters there are moments where anyone in cowboy bebop is like poignant and melancholic and then there's moments where they're just like a little too much for me and i think spike as the protagonist does fall into like generally melancholic and like you know you watch him stare out of the window a lot he saves the puppies he saves the children even though he says he hates them and Mm -hmm. you know he's a rogue with a heart of gold kind of thing um not wholly he you know he'll go after the bounty it doesn't matter who it is but yeah. uh uh you know there are moments where like it's a little heavy-handed for me uh but that's 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 the thing with everyone but yeah, i like spike a lot too um it, yeah he's really <laughs> i like his relationship with jet a lot they're they're really great friends um and yeah i definitely want to talk about the way they interact a little bit more um which I mean, hey, Jed Black, former cop, big dude, prosthetic arm. Um, I think what this show does successfully with his character is it subverts a lot of, or not subverts, avoids a lot of tropes. So like, I yes, Jet takes care of the cooking and stuff, but it never feels paternal, even though he's a little older than Spike and technically Faye. Um, 
But I do love seeing him in an apron making bell peppers and beef. Bell That's peppers really and beef good. is my favorite <laughs> bit in the, the show. It's very much so like the show opens um, with him being like, what are we having for dinner? Uh, and Jet's like, bell peppers and beef. And then Spike looks at the plate later on. He's like, hey, Jet. Uh, I, see the, I see the bell peppers. Um, the thing about bell peppers and beef, though, is that it does have to have beef, and this does not have beef, and Jet's just like, shut up and stop complaining, idiot. You're so ungrateful. Um, and stop it's, complaining, it's really idiot. Good. Your fucking repair bills are the reason we can't afford yeah, beef. Yeah, we have no money, and it's your fault. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like Jet. I think he might be my favorite character, just because, like, he is kind of like a dad-ish figure who's always just like, ugh, that Spike... He's gonna get us. He's gonna get me killed one day. And um, you know, I think I know Jet does have some like misogynistic uh, views that that that's not great. I don't love that, and we'll talk about those a little bit. But you know, I think overall Jet is kind of a a, a character who is like generally heartwarming and wants to do the right thing. Um, but you know, ultimately, like like all the other characters, is stuck in the past uh, and is just sort of trying to to make his way. Uh, but yeah, I think some of the best moments like in the show that make it so endearing are the moments where they're all eating or like they're you know they're either in the the i i want to say like living room of the bebop essentially um and like when when um like his his former partner's daughter comes in or something and like he's like hey this is now no longer a no smoking area because there's a child on board and they're all like what we've always smoked here and he's like well no no more and um there's a very very good scene in one of the, like the later episodes where um he and spike get a whole like like a basket full of eggs and the rest like the show closes out with him and spike just eating these hard-boiled eggs <laughs> just with no salt and pepper just straight up chowing down it's ridiculous <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it just, the characters feel so, like, lived in, you know? Like, the space they occupy and the way they interact is so just, like... Because Spike and Jet are together for three years before we run into them, and, like, they just feel like shitty roommates. Yes. And it's a delight to watch. It's some of my favorite stuff. Yes, uh, and speaking of shitty roommates, uh, we get the ultimate shitty roommate in Faye Valentine, who you know does add a, a certain level of acerbic wit and snark to the the char- characters on the Bebop, and I do appreciate her inclusion. Um, and you know, I, I like Faye. I, I think Faye is is a fun character who's very much just like these men are a bunch of dolts, uh, and I'm going to take them for all they're worth. Uh, and you know, I, I like her. I don't think we get. A very much like infantilizing or you know soft peddling face character like like some other more shonen animes might you know she's she's a she's like a you know strong independent woman uh quote unquote but also like you know she has flaws and like she's kind of shitty and like frequently will just like ditch the the guys and, and take their money but then like we'll come back because they're ultimately like friends um so yeah i, I like Faye. i think that uh, of all the characters in this show, she has the the most of an arc because she, you know, she does have amnesia and like she sort of like over the course of of the show figures out you know who she was. Yeah, I mean, she's the femme fatale, right? Um, her and Julia both kind of share that load. Where like Faye's the femme and Julia's the fatale a little more. Uh, <laughs> That's one but... way to put it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, the show's been out for. Th- 30 years i think we're yeah good, like but- i don't care <laughs> i'm sorry if we spoiled cowboy bebop for you but uh i mean like i would argue we kind of catch Faye at the end of her arc too though because really the only thing we get from her is like she's done the whole i've been betrayed i'm on my own i'm now gonna turn full defensive mechanisms on until her ex-boyfriend from another life shows up um which what a scene when he is just hoping she does not recognize him because he got fat implants which i think is very funny uh (laughs) that that's like a thing you can just go to a doctor and do we really see uh we really see her kind of get the beginning of her closure 
in that because that seems to be one of the events that like triggers her memory coming back a little bit more after her accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like her. I mean, she's a wild cannon. She's she is very. She's got a lot of stuff going on internally. I think the part where like Spike goes off to spoiler again, Spike goes off to die, uh, where she just like doesn't know how to say goodbye, so she just like shoots her gun into the ceiling a bunch of times. Like that got me for some reason, because she just like she can't. She doesn't know how to say goodbye. Um, I think their relationship's really really interesting. Uh, but like my favorite, I think, domestic scene with Faye is when she is letting Ed paint her toenails that's really good (laughs) um you know speaking of ed ed is this hacker they pick up in like episode nine i want to say um yes episode nine is when ed edward is introduced which is to say a third of the way of the third of the way through the show they introduce one of the most important characters and ed is just this very strange like i want to say 14 year old like little girl um who like kind of a tomboy uh but who is just like you know a a computer hacker essentially and she she has a lot of weird like speech mechanisms like she only refers to ed in the third person like she she never says i um but yeah she she's like a fun breath of fresh air that i'm really glad they introduced like a third of the way through i think that that character introduction stuff makes sense you know you've got the the three bounty hunters that are kind of squabbling with each other now they have a child (laughs) Yeah, and the funny thing about Ed too is like by no means the fact that she is she a kid that she is a kid doesn't mean that she's like helpless because uh Faye is like uh hey, I might have promised this kid that she's going to become a bounty hunter, but uh no, that's not going to happen. I did that to get information out of her. Let's go. And Jet tries to take off without Ed and Ed is like, "Oh, fine, fuck you." And and hacks the computers and brings the bebop back down so she can board. Uh oh, which we should clarify. Yeah, the ship is the bebop. Yeah. Spike is you. the cowboy. Yes, correct. Uh, he, he does refer to himself as an old-fashioned cowboy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so I love Ed. And then, like, we can lump Ayn in here. Ayn is a very expensive data dog. We never find out what that is. It is an expensive, experimental dog that they think is just your run-of-the-mill corgi that is worth two wulongs. Yes, it's very funny. And at several points in time, they do threaten to eat uh, Ayn because they're so hungry. Um, but yeah, Ayn does play uh, an important role, you know, and you get that like animal like, oh, there's an animal that can sense something going on here. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, maybe the best uh, episode with with Ayn and Ed is the very strange one that... Um, oh, the goop one? Yes, episode 11, Toys of the Attic, where it's just like, uh, yeah, uh uh spike just left a you know like a fancy rock lobster in the fridge for a year and like it became it turned alive and turned into an evil poisonous goop and i think kills everybody on board the bebop except for um (laughs) uh ed who just eats it i I think they recover eventually because of reasons uh but then ed at the very end just like swallows the goop hole which is so weird (laughs) yeah it's i mean like that fridge had an ecosystem happening in it like when spike (laughs) opened that fridge i was like oh baby no uh so yeah what a wild episode like when we talk about monster of the week like that was a monster of the week but it did it did spawn one of my favorite interactions between ed and uh spike which was ed was like it's aliens (laughs) and spike was sitting there and he's like could be an organism that mutated new which would make it aliens i guess (laughs) just the reluctant of acceptance of this like child's theory because ed's usually right right like yeah ed usually guesses right so it's just oh man it was so it was so funny just to watch them all like struggle through it like Faye got bitten in the bath and and you know uh jet is like laying there on the couch while they're going through they're like well what if it's cholera and he's like sweating <laughs> what if it's ebola <laughs> what if it's ebola yeah um yeah just just really great character work i think with these guys um and now we talk about the minor character uh starting with how did you feel about vicious i 
struggle to care about Vicious. I mean, I think Vicious was just like, yeah, there's an edgy bad guy out to, you know, kill Spike's girlfriend, and he's the you know the dark shadow he's the all the the darkness in, in in spike's heart to quote kingdom hearts um he's you know basically just like ah, i'm the evil version of of um spike and you know he can never rest until i'm dead um uh a la cloud and sephiroth but like yeah i mean he 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 takes over the syndicate at the end and he you know he he's the reason that spike can't get over his past because he's always coming back to him and, and doing violence to him He's fine. He has a sword, uh, which is cool and fun. But um, yeah, I mean, he was just like a kind of a boilerplate villain, I felt. I would like to paint a word picture of Vicious, because I think it's the only thing I really need to say about him is just to describe him. Because you're right, he is is what he is. Um, Vicious has white hair that's like just above shoulder length. Usually wears some sort of dramatic jacket cape thing with a hat sometimes. He likes to look a little mysterious. He likes to keep his eyes obscured. He's the kind of motherfucker that just carries around a music box. And as Aaron said, he has a sword (laughs) in a space opera. A space noir. Uh, no one else... No, not one one other motherfucker does that. The vicious. There is a scene where he's about to get executed and he is in the crucifixion pose. So if we can just kind of like absorb the kind of melodrama that Vicious brings to the scene, that's pretty much what he's bringing. He also has a bird that like follows him around like a big weird crow heron thing. No, no, we have to talk about it. Everyone's (laughs) got a fucking bird. Did you notice that? No. How does everybody have a bird? Okay. Fucking the chess master had a parrot. Okay. Yes. Has a weird parrot. Uh, uh, the the fortune teller that was telling um, Abdul Hakim where to find the corgi, he had a bird. Yes, okay. Uh, Vicious had a bird. Vicious has a bird. Jet's uh, ex-girlfriend has a fake bird that, like, keeps doing the drinky thing. Jet's ex-girlfriend, everyone in this anime has a bird. It has a fixation on birds. There's all, yeah, there are a lot of shots of birds flying over when, when Spike is left for dead. You know, he wakes up with a crow on his chest. Um, hmm. He asks the crow for directions. Which is how you know you're down bad. <laughs> you ask a crow which way is west. Uh, I thought it was very good. But with other characters that we're not sure... We'll get more into Julia later, but let's just give an overview of Julia. Um, she's Spike's ex-girlfriend. Yep. He's obsessed with her, can't let her go. Uh, you know, he... You know, she she was... I don't know if she actually shot him in the past, um, but, like, Vicious basically made her either try to shoot him or actually shoot him, um, and that's why he, you know, they broke up, um, because very few relationships, I feel, can survive, um, you know, the arms being drawn, but, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Spike's just obsessed with her, and, like, whenever he hears the name Julia, he, like, goes immediately to that planet and is like, Julia, where are you at? Um... You know, she's, she's like you said earlier, she's a femme fatale. You could say they broke up because of artistic differences. He saw himself as alive, and she saw him dead. He had it coming. <laughs> you can't. You have to contractually, in the mortified contract that we both signed, you have to warn me before you sing Chicago. You, you're in violation of our agreement. No, I'm so very, very sorry. <laughs> you can you can bill me. I will. Um, <laughs> Fifty thousand wulongs. Is that all I'm worth to you? I don't know how much uh, a wulong is worth. <laughs> I don't either. It's never it's never clear what a wulong can buy. Um, let's talk about my favorite character, Gren. Gren is very interesting. I think of you know all the side characters. Gren Gren is definitely one of the most interesting, if if not very weird. Um. Gren apparently used to be uh, Vicious's comrade when they were fighting the wars on the the moon of, of Jupiter Titan, I believe. 
Um, and like this is very similar to Spike and Julia, Gren just wants to confront Vicious one last time and find out why Vicious betrayed them because apparently Vicious was a spy for the enemy. You know, we never get much backstory about you know what that means, like what whose side is who, and like the politics of that. But like, doesn't matter. That's not really what this story is interested in. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know Gren is a very interesting, like it, very again very noir in that he's like a, a saxophone player. That's you know. He he got betrayed during during the war, and now he just plays sad saxophone music uh, in, in in a bar that is patronized only by men. Yeah, because the planet doesn't have any women, which I thought was a wild thing to posit. Um, it did make some of the conversations very funny, though, because like any Spike is looking for Julia at that moment, and so like. You know, one somebody leads him to a drag queen named Julius. So that was very funny. And then uh, it, people are asking around about Faye and they're like, are you sure it was her? And the, the bartender is just like, yes, it's been six months since I've seen a woman and two years since I've seen one that good looking. Like, OK, guys. All right, bro. You Everyone's need to leave this just... planet, sir. Y'all were <laughs> way too horny. Y'all need to go take a vacation somewhere. Well, that, one of the dudes does leave because he gets his ass handed to him like three times. <laughs> yeah, then he gets hit by a train, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, worst luck. Oh, man. Um, I, yeah, Gren, Gren does play a lot of sad saxophone. Um, uh, he refers to himself as he, so I'm going to go with that. But he... Uh, um, is intersex? I would... I think that's like the closest way I could use modern yes, terminology because he's not trained like he the way that they explain it is that like you know he got betrayed by vicious and then you know the people who apprehended him experimented on him and the experiments messed up his hormones so like he it, you know it's explicitly shown that he has breasts um but like you know i'm not i don't know basically anything about the trans community but my understanding is that for it to be you know for you to have transitioned it has to be intentional like on purpose so i think intersex is probably the right word yeah because uh, he has uh, uh both a penis and and, and also breasts uh, uh -huh. so i think intersex is probably the closest i could get using modern terminology if not i mean i welcome you know we welcome yeah, education in that regard sound off uh, in the comments but yeah yeah but uh uh whatchamacallit uh he's very like also like like all the rest of the characters i mean you've kind of alluded to this but the show is really focused on betrayal um and like exploring the betrayal right it happens with jet and his partner it happens with spike and vicious and julia it happens with Faye, and i forget the name of the guy she was with for a while the medical like winston or something whitney matsumoto Whitney, uh, you know, uh, Faye and Whitney, and, and uh, I think Ed is really the only one who doesn't have that. He, or she has a dad. She does. She has a father person. That is correct. Um, but yeah, uh, Gren is sad and plays sad saxophone and has long, pretty hair and is kind. And that's really all it takes to get me, you know? Uh, he shows up to... I did like when he shows up to confront Vicious and Vicious tries to give him a fucking bomb and he's just like, nah, I know what's in this case and he kicks it back at Vicious. So I was like, yeah, baby, you protect yourself. I'll love this for you. There we go. Um, he does die immediately after, but it, he says he's ill and is gonna die anyway. Uh, but yeah, I really love Gren. Uh, even like between my rewatches, he's the character that kind of stuck out most to me. Um, that I, like, remembered liking. Uh, and the last ones that we have on our list are Eliza and Rent. I don't have too much to say about these guys. Eliza's, or Lisa, is Jet's ex-girlfriend. Um, and Rent is her <laughs> new, extremely anxious boyfriend. Uh, and they hang out in Elisa's bar together. And Jet comes uh, and basically tells her that, like, hey, I told myself that when this stopwatch stopped and you still hadn't come back, it would be over and she's like dude my life went on <laughs> like <laughs> and she points out to him that like you know when i was with you i didn't have to do anything i didn't have to think for myself i just had to like follow your lead and you were always right and i just like wanted to make my own decisions even if that meant bucking up royally i wanted it to be my own decision um and the thing that annoyed me was that at the end jet tells rint 
to take, be a man and take care of her. Did you not just hear anything she said to you? Yeah, I mean, I think there might have been some structural issues in that relationship. <laughs> yeah, but I think honestly, like, that's one of the things I really like about the... Because like you said, right, like there's not arcs so much, but we get like these impressions of these characters when we first meet them, right? So, and then the thing that the narrative does that I think is interesting is it changes the viewer's impression of the character by introducing the impressions of other characters. So like you have a view of Jet that is like, again, not like paternal, but like a wizened kind of figure of experience, right? And like yes, you think, okay- He's even-tempered as compared to Spike, who is reckless. Absolutely. Spike's a mess. Um, but, you know, you, you get this, like, okay, so you have this, like, even-tempered man who, like, knows what he's doing. He's got a lot of experience to draw on. And then you introduce Elisa, and you see, okay, he was overbearing. Then you introduce his partner in later episodes, and you get, okay, well, he's so blinded by justice that he's reckless. And with Spike, it's like, okay, he's reckless, but then, you, you know, you introduce... Um, uh, uh, Vicious and Julia, and you kind of get the impression of like, oh, uh, he's he's reckless and like kind of waiting to die because he's been set adrift by like these things and, and because he was going to run and thought it was possible to run and stuff like that with Faye also, you know? So it's, it's, I think that's the interesting part about the way this narrative handles characters. It's like, yes, they don't get a character arc, but the narrative forces the viewer to change their opinion of the character based on other characters they introduce. Yeah, I think that's just, that's a great point, actually. Just that way of, of showing little snapshots of character by f- putting them in contrast with other characters is is a very effective technique. And, you know, looking back on it, I do think Cowboy Bebop does that well. Yeah, kudos where kudos are due. Um, but I think that's a... You know, we just talked about character arcs. I think it's a good way to segue into, like, why didn't the Julia thing work for us? Like, what was it for you? Yeah, I mean, like, I think this is, like I was saying, my whole complaint is that, is that you know, I really do wish there was a more overarching narrative. Um, and, like, the fact is that we really never, we don't really know who Julia is. Like, can you name a trait about Julia besides the fact that she uh, was Spike's girlfriend and betrayed her? Him? Yeah, like eh, there's no, we don't there's not enough investment in that character for me to care. I'm I mean I care because Spike cares, but that's it. And like you know she's she's very much a femme fatale, and and we're gonna have to unpack this. But like it, she she exists to fulfill the the demands of the genre, right? There there's you know it is a very classic noir story that there's you know uh you know a private eye or you know an ex-soldier you know a mobster whatever your you know down on his luck guy in your noir is and he's pining after a woman that he can never really have um because of you know reasons the past fate etc um and that's just all that julia is you know and i think that's probably true of most of the noir genre i don't know that that women get a whole lot of, of fleshing out besides the fact that they're hot and and you know men desire them for for motivational reasons and like um yeah i just i just wish we had got more you know like if if there was more of cowboy bebop if there was more uh digging into what these characters pasts were like um you know maybe that that would be it and again that's i don't know that that's really what cowboy bebop is going for i'm not sure that that they want us to really care about julia beyond the fact that like she is the reason that spike though is the way he is I mean, I think they do want us to care because her dying is a 20-second slow-mo shot. It does take a full minute for her to hit the ground. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Endings are hard. Listen, endings are hard. They only had 26 episodes. Uh, Sometimes you just got to be like, you you get it, right? You you see, this is is important to y'all. And, you know, for us, it didn't really click. I feel like, you know, we we are coming from uh, a media environment where if there is going to be a character death, it's somebody that we have a lot more built up story um, and, and character interactions with. Like we only really ever see Julia in her. The, the most important thing that they ever did for Julia was have her and Faye team up uh, for that one bit at the, at the end where, you know, she's uh, Julia's being chased by the syndicate and then Faye just like wordlessly jumps into her convertible and they take out a bunch of dudes, which is very, a very cool sequence. But like, you know, we don't get much of, of Julia's characterization, in that besides that she's just like kind of a cool badass 
I love that scene because it does imply that every bounty hunter that Julia runs into, she gives a cryptic hint to tell Spike Spiegel to meet her there. He'll know what I mean. Because Faye does ask her, hey, how do you know I know Spike? She does not answer. <laughs> so, so I think Julia's just running around looking for bounty hunters and just continually just trying her luck. Spinning spinning the wheel, you know? Just rouletting it. The thing that... An- <laughs> There's a scene on the cutting room floor with Julia just like <laughs> like after his face, like, how do you know Spike? It just cuts to Julia's face and she's like, yes, finally, got him. <laughs> finally. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the thing that I think made me care less about Julia, which I almost hate to say, is, like, when Faye comes back and Jet's, like, what's she like? And they just, like, wax poetic about how ordinary she is and how it makes her beautiful. Yes. That sucked. Um, That was up there with I fell in love with Sleeping Beauty for me. There are some whack lines in this program. I I think there's much more good lines than whack ones, but they say some shit especially when it comes to gender stuff especially when it's like you know she was a dame that men would kill for she was either uh a devil from heaven or a demon wait shit that's the same thing or <laughs> a devil from heaven or she the an opposite angel. of that an angel she was from an hell angel. yes yes an angel from Christ. hell or a demon from paradise yeah <laughs> Fuck it. yeah like it's so it's too much it's like come on we, we left that in the 40s yeah, it's quite a lot. Uh, I mean, we do get that Julia's, like, nurturing. You know, she stays with Spike and kind of, like, sings to him when he's injured. Um, and she also, like, cares for Annie as Annie is dying. Um, and, like, it is funny, like, how gendered Cowboy Bebop is for also how, like, borderline transgressive it can be sometimes, right? Like, you have Gren, who is intersex asterisk uh you have uh ed who is definitely not your like classic definition of female and like could definitely be interpreted as non-binary by a modern audience Mm -hmm. um there was like a openly gay couple that faye assaults with a interrogation mid-coitus which was wild yeah there's Um, several there's several queer characters in this which is which is very interesting yeah this came out in 1997 (laughs) Well, I mean, like, I found kind of a similar thing with Dora Hidoro for the fact that it started in in nineteen in the ni- late 1990s. Is like, there are definitely moments of, like, uh, also written by a woman, though. Like, definitely moments of, like, I would call it feminism. You know, like, moments of, like, giving female characters an inner life, which, which Cabo Bebop also does. Um, but yeah, Julia just, like, didn't get that treatment. She did not get an inner life at all. And from what we understood, she kind of for the most part, didn't want anything more to do with Spike until the very, very end. And so, like, just didn't, I didn't care when she died, but Spike really cared. And I think that kind of shot the ending in the leg for me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, I was much more invested in, you know, Spike's goodbyes with with Jet and Faye than, than with the actual resolution because like as soon as you kind of get the gist of what's going on it's like oh he and Vicious are going to kill each other like that's of course they are like that's that's just how this goes um did love that fight though it was a great fight right I, I love especially at the very end where like they both have each other's weapon and Spike's like I'm not going to kill you with a fucking sword he slides the sword back to, to Vicious he's like yeah whatever and you know Spike shoots Vicious to death and then Vicious like slashes him with a sword which is like complete bullshit because like of course that's not how anything works but I it, you know it's it's very anime and, and I loved it and it was great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, all the fights prior, right, and, like, there's a lot of emphasis on Spike being fluid and using other people's force against them, and generally not a lot of blood in in this show. Like, it's it's pretty bloodless for, for what it is, but just that last fight with them, like, just tearing into each other was so visceral. It was so, such a contrast. I felt so desperate. It was so good. Um... But, uh, yeah, going from what didn't work for us in, in Julia, I want to talk about my favorite episode. Oh. Which is the episode with VT in it. How did you feel about the heavy metal queen? That was a very interesting episode, right? Um, for for the audience, this is just an episode where there, there's this trucker. We're introduced to this space trucker who 
you know nobody can guess what the vt means in her name and like whenever everybody comes up to her and tries to guess you know they have to pay her like like a dollar essentially and like she has this big stack of dollar bills that she just keeps with her which is very fun uh and she's like whoever can guess my name will get this big stack um but like yeah vt it's very interesting to see like yeah you know there's there's a bunch of space people who just have to like do logistics and that's what vt does is is just drives this enormous spaceship around and you know it goes it goes into some places um it also has probably the best line in this show which is i got a thing for eels (laughs) (laughs) i got a thing for eels because they're chasing a dude with a dragon tattoo and uh faye just sees a little bit of this tattoo and she literally tears the dude's shirt open when she figures out he's the wrong guy and it's just this eel with heart eyes and it's the (laughs) it's so good (laughs) this is all by the way happening in a chuck e cheese Yes, also. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason I want to bring the VT episode up is because, first of all, the world building in the show is really great, right? It's a lot of passive world building. You get a lot of, like, clues into this, like, messy, kind of gritty space fantasy, right? Like, Earth, like, people expand it too quickly and it's all a mess. The interior cabins of these trucks are so fucking good. Just, like... There's a point at which VT is like, hey, I'm looking for a truck with an Asian goddess painted on the side of it because they fucked over my friends. And this happens to also be the bounty that uh, – this is the dragon tattoo guy. Yes. Uh, it's the bounty that the, the bebops are chasing. But you get this, like – she sends out this clarion call of, like, hey, I'm hunting this guy. And you get to see, like, five different truckers' cabins one dude has like AK-47 ammo and is like has like built a jungle inside of his cabin. And uh there's a bunch of other ones that they're just so busy and it's a throwaway background. You're never gonna see the insides of these truck cabins again, but they're so detailed. It just like the world building in this is so like it just feels lived in, right? And, like, it's kind of the same stuff we were talking about, like, on the Bebop is, like, the Bebop's falling apart. And it's just, like, messy fridges and broken pieces and Jet's constantly having, having to fix the shower. And, um, like, how did you feel about the, the like, because we go to a couple of different planets. And I, I won't say they're they're all that distinct necessarily, but, like, I don't know. Like, in ter- I feel like we're exposed to so many space fantasies, like... Did anything stand out to you in terms of this one? I mean, like you said, I don't know that the, any of the the planets were like especially interesting. Like, I I think you know to to reference uh, some of our episodes, like Jupiter ascending had much more dis- a much more visually distinct style, like planet to planet. But I do think that, like you're right, the the world building and character of each setting came out. Like you know when when they meet Ed, right? Ed is on Earth, and Earth is just like a uh, a blasted wasteland because of you know climate change presumably um um and then like when they go to to ganymede right it, it's you can see that it's just like a like an old you know worn out town and like part of that is just the noir genre being like okay yeah we have to go to like a wasteland or like a west the western genre also draws from or like we have to go to an old city where you know nobody goes here anymore yeah i think the world building is pretty good <laughs> yeah i mean like i just like the fact that like there's spaceship gas stations you know you always hear about like oh we gotta go fuel up the ship but you never like go to the gas station with it like spike has a whole confrontation in a spaceship gas station um there's you know like pet shops and street vendors and like people look like people we see today and there's like a, a level of grit and grime everywhere like it's not tidy you know it's not afraid of being kind of gross and i don't know there's just something so appealing about that to me like i think i think part of being a tonal piece is just like the care they put in i think also like 
there's something I learned recently, which is that a lot of old games specifically relied on the fuzziness of CRT TVs to look a certain way. But like, you can even see that in like the beginning training montage with Spike. Spike's in the dark so often, and it's like so hard to see on an LED monitor. But then thinking about how much care was put into that so that the CRT TV made him look like he was glowing. I don't know. There's just, there was so much craftsmanship put into this show. It was just like, so cool so much care had to be put into the fight scenes planning the layouts making sure their backgrounds were big enough and and into the camera angles and i don't know it's just like yeah the story kind of lost me a couple of times like especially on my third watch i was like oh i remember this dragging but i don't know it's just it's so well crafted and such an art piece that like it's and not in like an overly pretentious way i don't know i just thought it was really neat i really like that part of it but uh it's also funny that you bring up the uh um you mentioned uh, noirs and westerns because, like, specifically Japan, like, the samurai genre is very influenced by westerns and white mm-hmm. vice versa. Yes. Um, so if we're going to talk about genres, like, what's your experience with noirs? That's the thing. Like, I don't know why I know shit about noir. Like, all my experience of the noir genre is largely parody, right? Like, I mean, I think we've all seen various TV shows or... or or video games where it's just like, oh, yeah, there's a hard-boiled detective. And, you know, I guess, like, this probably... I, I, I'm I thinking Spongebob for some reason, but I'm sure there's probably, like, a Spongebob episode where, you know, like, Spongebob is pretending to be a detective and, like, somebody walks into his office and, you know, like, all the shades are drawn and, um, you know, there, there's, like, he's, like, smoking a cigarette, but it turns out it's, like, a fucking, I don't know, like, a shell or some bullshit. But, like... Isn't there? literally a character called the hash slinging slasher is that spongebob am i getting there yes that's spongebob that's more like creepypasta i want to say i guess so right i feel like noir is more like dick tracy like yeah you know like like detective stuff or or like much more pulpy uh but yeah i i just that's the thing i don't know that i have like the reference points that are necessary to appreciate where bebop is coming from just because like i don't i don't have that that firsthand experience like i've never seen fucking maltese falcon or let me look up the wikipedia for noir um it's very indicative of your experience level yes like i just <laughs> like i can i can read out a bunch of lists of like noir film titles and uh, you'd be like oh that's of course a noir film like um like something mm-hmm. called like the lady from shanghai or you know the sweet smell of success right that sounds like a noir movie i don't think i'll ever watch any of those films but like even the title alone you sort of get it like there's a gritty you know like like a dark street with like a single uh, street light on somebody with a tra- in a trench coat sm- smoking a cigarette like aesthetic to all of them that you sort of like that we've just sort of culturally asmosed and like we are so far removed from that era um that like it like it it only shows up in parody anymore and like that's why i don't know that i'm really equipped to talk about bebop yeah i mean like i you know i poke fun at the fact that you can't name noir but like neither can i i really like also don't have any experience in this genre at all i've seen some you know black and white movies but not not a noir i can remember you know what i mean which is funny because as a person who like artistically really loves melodrama and dramatic lighting and you know like cool angles and the aesthetic of like smoking a cigarette in a trench coat <laughs> like that's all my shit uh but yeah i really don't have any experience with the genre either which is i remember there's this title card in one of the episodes that made me laugh that was like a work which will be a genre unto its own cowboy yes. bebop i was like okay hubris love to see it it's really weird (laughs) it's it's your that's i mean listen boldly go forth you know uh stake your claim but i think even though it is a bold presumption to just like put on a title card i do think that there it is like i haven't seen anything like it you know until probably Samurai Champloo, which is, I don't know if you've seen, but also just like a very hip-hop, Western-influenced samurai story with the same fuzzy-haired, melancholic protagonist. And, you know, there's a girl chasing this uh, samurai who smells like sunflowers. Like, it's all very nebulous. Um, but I did, you know, I cannot remember what this was about, but there was someone was talking about a work that... Uh, it was, I think it was a film that 
felt more like poetry than prose. I can't remember what I was listening to and what that was about. But that's what it felt like Cowboy Bebop was. It was like trying to be a poem more than like a cohesive narrative. And, um, you know, I think it really wove some genres together really successfully. It was like a Western noir tragedy. And like, when was the last time we've seen something like that? Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but like, I, I am getting very worried that like, we are entering an era of, of perpetual nostalgia where we just continue to remake things and um, redo old things in the past because like it's proven to be uh, marketable and like it, it is concerning that we haven't seen you know something weird and new in a while and I mean that's not to say that Cowboy Bebop is wholly weird and new you know nothing in culture is created in a vacuum but like yeah like looking at this like i'm glad cowboy bebop exists and has inspired so many millions of people um and you know i just hope that we can get more things like it that are weird and experimental and try to mash up genres yeah which uh you bring that up (laughs) because um unfortunately uh (laughs) there's gonna be a new cowboy bebop in uh november (laughs) yeah maybe not unfortunately i don't know maybe it'll turn out great honestly I'm kind of jazzed because, uh, jazzed, get it? The real footballers. Do a lot of singing in this episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't read the phrase the real folk blues without wanting to sing it. Like, it's, it, that song is earwormed. But the reason I, I'm kind of excited about this live action is because, first of all, speaking of the music, Yoko Kano, my queen is coming back. Yoko Kano soundtrack my whole fucking childhood. Wolf's Rain, Artanelico, wherever you look, Yoko Kano is soundtracking it. All that, like, wafty, like, I just remember Spike falling out a church window for 20 minutes, and there was just this, like, floaty, wafty choral piece happening in the background. I'm like, yes, Yoko Kano. That's, I'm so excited for her to come back. But I'm also excited because, uh, I don't know if you saw in my notes, but the quote-unquote writer on Cowboy Bebop is a pseudonym for the collective Sunrise staff. And they have expressed a desire to write a couple episodes on the live action, which I think is really cool. So, you know, we hear a lot of stuff about like the live action Avatar, which is also coming to Netflix and how like Mike and Brian have quit that production due to creative differences. And there's so much turmoil over there, you know, but who knows how that's going to turn out. But then you have the original creators of Bebop being like, no, 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 we want to we want to fuck around with John Cho for a while, you know? Um, and I think the, the like costumes look really great and it just, I don't know. I'm excited. I think it'll be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll probably, even if we don't cover it on the show, we'll probably independently revisit it. Cause I do want to see how it stacks up and how maybe they've perhaps modernized um, the, this, this show and, and made it maybe more, more linear and maybe more appealing for me personally, but <laughs> You know, I we'll see. Who who knows? I I suspect they might do make a change like that because the 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 media that I consume is much more re- indicative of the market um, that that we currently exist in. So we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll cover it in our newsletter, which is coming out this week. Um, you should register for it in our show notes because uh, we are introducing a bit of a second second chance theater where we uh we tell you a take we forgot to record we we have bonus takes now in the newsletter so you should sign up for it it comes out once a month and uh yeah it's good stuff so maybe we'll maybe we'll write about it on there but you should you should sign up for that um yeah i mean i'm like i'm i'm quite jazzed for it uh yeah i'll definitely watch it i mean like listen (sighs) we've covered this on this program before I'm a connoisseur of shit. I love just garbage. And that has taken me down the paths of... I've seen every live-action adaptation of Death Note. All of them. I've seen them all. Two Japanese, one American. I've done it. We're working on the musical. We are. Listen. Bleach, I'm coming for you. Fullmetal Alchemist, been there. So, like, my bar is so low. 
that just the casting of John Cho has crossed. <laughs> Listen, by by all accounts, it's expected to be good. Uh, I'm I'm eager to see what they turn out, but. Uh... Well, Layla, when we are not um, torturing each other with the threats of having to watch more live-action anime stuff, um, where can people find you on the internet? I'm at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter and Tumblr. I am almost done with my contract, which does mean I will probably draw again. So if you're interested in this, might be a good time to check it out. Aaron, what about you? You can find me on the internet at AaronSXL, where I write uh, and I talk about healthcare and TTRPGs. So if that's interesting to you, check me out there. Um, you can listen to the other podcast I do at The Bible Boys. Um, me and Michael and Joshua just recorded an episode about the Sleepy Time Tea founder's weird cult beliefs. He believes that uh, all people are... We used to be divided into like seven rainbow races. It's super racist and fucked up. Um, I will continue to drink sleepy time tea, but with an asterisk from now on. So, <laughs> uh, if you're interested in that shit, uh, check it out. It's it's a buck wild one. Um, our theme song is obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume Two. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla. As we uh, drift off into that good night, um, playing our own blues music, what do we say to our audience? See you later, Space Cowboy. 